0: Father, this morning we just come to you. We surrender our body, our soul, our spirit into thy hands. We acknowledge, Lord, your word is true. And your word alone is the truth. And I pray that, Father, as we hear your word, you will give us the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and also the spirit of discernment, Lord. That we will not hear with ears of flesh, but we will with We'll hear with ears that have been opened by the Spirit of God. We will not understand with the mind of flesh, but we'll understand with the mind of Christ. We will not believe with the heart of stone, but will believe with the heart that you have given us. And above all, Lord, we surrender our will to the will of our Father, the shepherd of our souls, to obey, to follow, and to forsake everything that is not of you, Lord. So this morning, Father, speak to us, teach us, and empower us through Your Word and through Your Spirit. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So before we we move to the the portion of the Word, uh, it'll be in two two portions. But one of the first things I want to look this morning is part of it. I taught in the pastors' conference last month, but I didn't particularly teach that part in the church. So I would like to teach in the church too. Is uh, we get the actual picture, the actual meaning of what is salvation. We will tell people, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You know. And uh, we go out and speak to people about Jesus, hoping people will believe and be saved. And uh, But what is actual, from heaven's point of view, what is actual salvation? Because sometimes we confuse the effects of salvation than the very fact and the act of salvation. We think about salvation as about escaping hell and going to heaven. That's the effect of salvation. Or passing from death to life, which is the effect of salvation. From darkness to light which is the effect of salvation. Almost everything, almost everything we associate with the term of being saved, of salvation, is actually an effect of salvation. So we need to really look into the word to understand what is salvation, because effects can be manipulated, but actual salvation cannot be. Effects can be manipulated, but actual salvation cannot be. Because if you look it from God's heaven's point of view, from God's standpoint, salvation is actually a judicial term. It's a term that is pronounced in God's courtroom. It is the point when God declares a man or a woman as righteous. That's the point when God declares man or a woman righteous. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, I think I didn't give it to you, in verse 8 and 9, scripture says, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. Meaning, when God declares a man or a woman saved, nobody will be able to boast I was saved because I did this. It is the end of the religious man and the righteous man. Salvation is entirely the work of God. It is the point when God declares somebody has righteous. And please understand this too. We are not saved by mercy. We are not saved by mercy. We are saved by grace. By mercy, we only receive the forgiveness of our sins. We are not saved. A sinner who is forgiven is still a forgiven sinner. A criminal who receives a pardon is still a forgiven criminal. No criminals will enter into the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is the kingdom of righteousness. Mercy does not get you entry into the kingdom of God. It does not. Because if I had received only mercy in my life, I'm still a criminal in the court, God's kingdom. I can live on earth till I die. And when I die... I cannot enter into heaven because Hebrews 1.8 is absolutely clear that the kingdom of God. But to the son he says your throne of God is forever and ever. And a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of, of his kingdom. His entire kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. And the problem is only the righteous can enter into his kingdom. That's why in Matthew 6 and verse 33, the most familiar verse for many of us, God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God and the righteousness of God because it is a kingdom that is established on the righteousness of God. So nobody who received mercy alone is, will be able to enter that kingdom because there is a problem. The problem is here in Romans 3 verses 9 and 10. What then? Are we better than they? Not all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. All are under sin. And then verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No one. No one is righteous. Absolutely no one is righteous. And if we are not righteous, we cannot enter into the kingdom of God. No one is righteous. And his kingdom is the kingdom of righteousness. And you need to realize in this world, in this human earth world, there are only two kinds of righteousness available. One is the righteousness that comes from observing the law. There is an issue over there. In Romans chapter 3 verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Little difficult for the young ones, but understand that. I will, I will try to explain it to you the way you can understand. Everybody who is born is born under a law. Okay, Every religion is established of the law. The law does not help anybody. The law only condemns you. Whether you are born into a Christian family, or a Jewish family, or a Muslim family, or a Hindu family, every religion in its core has a law. And you are considered... Dharmic, righteous, only if you keep the tenets of the law. And the problem is nobody can keep the law. It's impossible. Even a Hindu cannot keep the Hindu law. The actual core of their scriptures. Muslim cannot keep the actual core of Islam. It's all. It's impossible to keep the actual core of Buddhism. It's impossible to keep the Ten Commandments. It's impossible to keep any law. James chapter two and verse ten says the issue. The issue is whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. You see, this is the issue with the law. Okay, let us say IPC code has uh, hundred sections. I kept ninety nine. When I produced to court, they don't mention about that 99 I kept. They only mention that one which I broke. And because I broke one, under the law, I am called a criminal. That is why it is, it is no one righteous. Absolutely no one righteous. Why I'm saying this is because this is one of the dangers of getting caught in the religion called Christianity. Because if you ask, everywhere, everywhere I go, many times I open this question with Christians. I'm not talking about non-Christians. I ask this question to Christians. Ask them, why do you think if you die today, you will go to heaven? Nine out of ten times the answer is because of their good works. Yet that same law under which they are answering that question says, there is none righteous, no one. Okay, Because what does the law do? Scripture says, it awakens sin, makes you conscious of sin. Why is it that the righteous Hindu keeps on going back to the reverse? Why is that? The, I'm not talking about the sinners among every religion. I'm, why is the Righteous Muslim keeps on going back for Hajj. If you could be cleansed by one going, you could be clean, right? You go there, you feel good, you come out a little later, you realize the very law under which you operated is condemning you again because you know you have come short of the law. That's is the issue. So there is one way of righteousness which is possible, but nobody can keep it. It is a possibility. And only one man fulfilled that possibility. That was Jesus. Other than that, nobody you, you can't say it is impossible. Only it is not possible for us. was possible for Him. Then there is the second one, which is Romans 3, verse 21 onwards. Now the righteousness of God, the key word is this, apart from the law is revealed. From the law is revealed. See, there are two kinds of people born on earth. One are the law abiding and the other are the lawless. Okay, honestly, I'm telling you in every religion you have the law Abiding and the lawless. The law abiding one is the one who cries in his soul who will rescue me. The the lawless one is not bothered about religion or his temple or his mosque. He is not bothered. But there are law abiding ones who actually cry out and they try to fulfill and try to fulfill and try to fulfill. And... In the Judaic system, the law and the prophet, scripture says, is actually pointing to the desire in you for righteousness. It is the righteousness which is from God. It's the righteousness of God. It is apart from the law. And then, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe for there is no difference. This is a righteousness that comes by faith for those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's apart from the law. And then, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A righteousness that is from God, apart from the law, is found in Jesus Christ alone. You have to understand that is how actual salvation takes place, is brought about. If you read verses 25 and 26. Being for whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in forbearance God has passed over the sins that we have previously committed. And to demonstrate at the present time. His right. You have to. If you don't understand salvation in terms of righteousness, we will never understand salvation, and we may not be saved. Why I tell you this is salvation when it happens to a person's life is a divine act of God where He declares a man or a woman righteous because he believed in Jesus Christ apart from the law. When that thing happens inside, there is an immediate natural hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if that doesn't happen, you are not saved. You've just shifted religion. Because salvation is the divine act where the righteousness of God is created in us. Because he has to declare you or me. okay, To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier. It's an incredible term Paul uses over there. He is just. He's just, and he is the justifier, like I was telling the young men uh, who were there yesterday. The temptation in the garden was, the man was the one who was tempted, but the plot was not against man. The plot was against God. The plot was against God, because you have to realize, this is what is happening. There is God who loves man. And there is God who hates sin. So devil is Doing something over here saying that if I take what you hate and put it in what you love, what will you do? Will you destroy what you love? Will you wink at what you hate? That's what was happening over there. But that's why scripture says the mystery of the cross was hidden from the powers of this age. If they had known, they would not have crucified Jesus. Because what he did was, he took what he hated, put it in his son, and he judged him, and then he put the righteousness that was in his son, put in the one he loved, therefore he is both the just and the justifier. That is salvation. Everything else is the effect of it. We don't understand salvation. We may be caught in the incredible trap. The subtle trap of religion. So we have to understand how crafty the devil is. How crafty the devil is. In Romans 5 and verse 12 scripture says. Therefore just. As through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. I want, you to, I want you to understand all this, because let your spiritual eyes be opened. Like we say, you know, to us who are in the physical realm, the anointing is put in terms of oil. Because we are physical, so God says, pour the oil upon them. But is the oil, does, just because you pour oil on your head, do you get anointed? No, the anointing actually symbolized that the oil is something spiritual. It is not of matter. Oil is of matter. The anointing is spiritual. It does not made of matter. So what happens? Even Peter's shadow can heal because the anointing can rest upon the shadow because both the shadow and the anointing are non-corporeal. Are you understanding it? Look at this. You have to see, let us say, you have to see sin as a real entity. Okay? Sin is outside. Adam is here. Sin is there. Sin entered into man. When he entered into man, his entire spiritual genetic makeup changed. From there, when Adam died, every man died in Adam. That's what happened. Okay, You will not go to hell Because you sinned, you'll go to hell because in you is sin. That's what David is saying in Psalm 51 and verse, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my father conceived. You don't have to do anything with the little babies at the back to make them sin. Just leave them alone. Automatically they will grow up and start growing in sin. Because why? The nature inside is sin. Nature inside is sin. If you don't understand that, we will try doing all the works of religion and think at the end, God, God will say it's not about your works. Your righteousness itself is like filthy rags because you are what? Conceived in sin. Righteousness won't count at all. It will not count at all. So what is God's solution? God's solution is given in 2 Corinthians 5. For he made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is God's solution. Hidden from everybody. Nobody had any clue. And even till today, the best, most well-read, wise, Jewish a rabbi is not able to see this. Close to his sight. Because this will be open only when he opens his eyes to Christ. He can go through entire Isaiah 53 and all through Isaiah. Read it and come up with varying kind of weird explanations. Unable to see the salvation of God. It was hidden from the demonic powers. And is hidden from every religious person. Until you humble yourself and realize your depravity. And come. So salvation The first act of salvation is repent. Therefore you receive mercy. Repent. Therefore you receive mercy. Believe. You are declared righteous. Repent. Believe. Believe in the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, this is what I am. You're not repenting of all your sins. (laughs) You're repenting of sin. This is who I am. This is not what I do. I do all these things because this is who I am. If this is not, if I am, this is what I do. But if I am not that person, then I won't do these things. So I'm not even looking at what I did. I'm not giving a list of my sins. I'm acknowledging this is who I am and this is who you are. Lord, I repent. God says mercy. Mercy. Because the problem is the religious person will be like the Pharisee will come and says, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. And I'm not like that. that I'm not like that dude. Everything he says is true about himself and about this man. But the problem is inside both him and this fellow is the same sin nature. So God says, let me put, take this man, this tax collector put him in your family and take you and put him in his family, he would have grown up like you and you would have grown up like him. There's no difference. Each one of us, everyone is a sinner because of sin. We react differently because of upbringing and circumstances but inside everybody is the same. And you're not judged by what you did outside. You are judged by what you are inside. Inside. And inside, everybody was conceived in sin. There is no other way. There is no other way under heavens other than the way through Christ. That's why Jesus says, I am the way. There is no other name given under the heavenlies other than the name Jesus. So if we repent, we believe. That is Romans 10. What does it say? What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which you preach. That if you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You will be saved. And what? For with the heart one believes unto... That's not what religion says. You work unto righteousness. God says, you believe unto righteousness. You believe, Lord, this is what I am. This is who he is. And I believe he died for my sins. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose again. And God says, your sin on him, his righteousness on you. That's the beginning of salvation. For scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Meaning on that day, he will be declared not guilty. He will not be put to shame. So remember these three things. First is begins with repentance. That is mercy. Second goes to believing. And repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of desire. And it is a change of will. And it only deepens as we grow. It doesn't become less. It only becomes deepens as we grow. And then the third comes. Scripture says get baptized. And all those who got baptized last month, baptism is, when you identify, we'll come to that later with the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Let's look at the Old Testament pattern. I taught that also last month to the pastors, but let's look at it. Romans 4 and verse 3. We are looking at an Old Testament pattern to understand the New Testament truth. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What did he do? Believed God. Accounted him to righteousness. And it says about us. What does it say? For now it was written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But also for us it shall be imputed us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now the issue here is this. When does God say Abraham is righteous? Okay. Let me give you, you... You know your history by now. In Genesis chapter 11, according to Stephen, in Acts chapter 7 verse 2, the God of our fathers appeared to our father Abraham when he was in the earth of the Chaldeans and told him, leave. He packed up and he left. God did not call him righteous. Did not call him righteous. He got stuck at Haran. His father died. God came to him again and says, pack up, move. He entered into the promised land. He made an altar. God met him there. God blessed him. God did not call him righteous. He went into Egypt. He goofed up. God rescued him. He came back, went back to the altar, made peace with God. God did not call him righteous. There was conflict in his household. He and Lot separated. He was very merciful, kind to his nephew, gave him first choice. His nephew took all the best land, walked away. God did not call him righteous. His nephew got into trouble. There is war in the land. His nephew is a prisoner. He risks his own life with 318 soldiers. He wins the war. He comes back. Melchizedek gives him bread and wine, blesses him. God does not declare him righteous. He overcomes the lust of money. Berah comes, the king of Sodom comes, says, take all these things, just give me the people. He says, I don't want anything from you. Not even a thong from your sandal will I take. I have lifted my hand to the living God. God did not declare him righteous. Incredible, right? By this time, at least 15, 20 years is over, this man is supposedly walking by faith without being declared righteous. That's what Hebrews 11.8 says. Abraham went without knowing where he was going. Because he obeyed by faith. But he's not declared righteous. In Genesis 15. God appears to him and says. Abraham I am your mighty shield. And exceedingly great reward. And he says what's the point. I have no children. All this will go to Eliezer. And God takes him outside. And tells him come here. And look up. And when he sees. He believes. And this is the issue in which he said, he brought him outside and said, now look towards heaven, count the stars, you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your dissonance be. Now this is the problem. You need to understand the problem with most translations in most languages are factually wrong. God did not tell, call it your dissonance. Go to KJV. And I will prove it from scripture. Not that my translation is right. Scripture will prove the translators in almost every language went wrong. What does scripture say? And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Did not say seeds. Seed be. Did not say dissonance. Your son. One child. That's what God said. You know, if in the fundamental core of our salvation, if translation goes wrong translation goes wrong look at genesis galatians chapter 316 and listen to the holy spirit speaking through paul now to abraham and his seed where the promises made he does not say and to seeds and as of many but as of one and to your seed who is christ is this nkjv it's nkjv now if you look at this the nkjv translators who translated this portion is translating the other one as dissonance without realizing scripture itself is telling you your translation is wrong. So can you understand how academically, scholarly you can be in the scripture and your eyes be blinded? Because this is revelation. This is not scholarship. Here it is very clearly saying he does not say to his seeds. And how did they translate dissonance? How did the translate dissonance? To his seed and to your seed who is not Isaac. Your seed, Christ. You know what happened that day? He took him up. He showed him heavens. And Abraham had a vision. He saw Christ coming. Christ dying. And Christ rising from the dead. And he believed in Christ. God said you are righteous. That's the only way anybody will be declared righteous when we have believed in the work of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Abel walked by by faith. Enoch walked by faith. Noah walked by faith. Are any of these people called the father of believers? No. Only Abraham. Only Abraham. In John chapter 8 and verse 58, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to the most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham, I am. And he actually says, Abraham, rejoice to see my day. So when did Abraham see his day? On that day, in Genesis chapter 15. When he's around 10 years into the promised land, he's probably around 85 years old. That's the day when he saw the day of Jesus and he rejoiced and God declared, you are righteous. Everybody, salvation is only one way. You have to believe in the work of Jesus Christ. Because we were born in sin. We were born enemies of God. No, the first breath your baby took, he started dying. We are born dying because we are born on death row. And we were at war with God. We were the Enemies of God when we were born, not friends of God. Yet when God, Christ meets God's righteous demands, we receive justice from God. He declares us righteous. Righteous. One of the first effects of righteousness is you have peace with God. You have peace with God. Romans 5 and verse 1 says, Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What do we have? That is why when people sin, when saints sin, the first thing they lose is their peace. First thing they lose is their peace. Sinners, when they sin, they don't lose their peace. They only seem to see, I should not get caught. That was all. All he does. what I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be caught. The other fellow, David, when he sins, he's not able to sleep. These are all symbols in the Old Testament given to us in the new that we may learn. You have peace. Understand salvation. Understand salvation. Salvation begins as an act of righteousness. God declaring a person righteous. And when God declares a person righteous deep inside, you have something that is supernatural. A peace with God and a joy that is from God. That is supernatural. That has got nothing to do with this world. Second thing you need to understand is when Christ died on the cross everyone who believes, believed in Jesus, has believed in Jesus, and will believe in Jesus, everybody died with Christ when he died. Let me ask you, you you will wonder, how is that possible? Let me ask you this question. When I die, you don't die, when I die, doesn't every cell in my body die? What What is the church called? When Christ died, did his body die? Christ died, his body died. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. That's that's the only way salvation is possible. There is a God who is the judge. There is a victim, which is his son. And there are executioners whom we do not know. God the Father, as the justice declares his son guilty and orders him to be hung till death. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and the foreknowledge, foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put him to death. You. Let me ask you this question. We know God. We know Jesus. We do. do we know the executioners? Does God, who decided His son should be hung, and people carried the sentence out? The last man to be hung in India was Yakub Memon. He was hung in 2015, if my memory is right. We know his name, the victim, Yakub. We know the justice, Justice Kode, of the Tada Court ordered him to be hung. His final mercy petition also was dismissed by his Justice Adarshiven of the Supreme Court, and he was hung. Do you know who hung him? No. We know the justice. We know the victim. We don't know who hung him. A Pune constable in Nirwada jail hung him. But we don't even know who hung him. So it doesn't matter who hung Jesus. What matters is who ordered him to be hung. And why did he hang? Justice of God. He is both the just and the justifier. Why did he hang his son? So that his righteousness could be held. Because if you don't understand that we will not value our salvation and we will not hunger and thirst after righteousness because it is God who ordered his son to be executed. So when Jesus died his body died. When he died everybody in Christ also died. When he was buried everyone was buried with him. And when he rose again Everybody rose again with him. In the spiritual realm that is true. That is why after your salvation, the most important ordinance of God is your baptism. After your salvation, not before your salvation. Repent, believe. You cannot be baptized before you have even been declared righteous. You cannot be baptized before you got saved. That is why all these baby baptisms mean nothing at all because it has practically no sense or meaning. Because first you have to hear, you have to repent, you receive mercy, you have to believe you are declared righteous. Now that you are declared righteous, you need to go down with Jesus and come up so that the old man dies and the new man starts living for Christ. So Romans 6 will say it this way. Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Baptism is what? It's a burial service of the old man. Because that man was put in Christ. And when Christ was buried, you were buried with him. And as a symbol of that on earth, you go down underwater. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. That is a resurrection life entire gamut of life has changed. Our desires have changed. Our aspirations have changed. Earlier we were tuned to the world. Now we are tuned to the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because if your death is real, then your life is also real. If your life is not real, it's because your death is not real. If you are saying, I got baptized, but you are living the old life, then you did not die with Christ. Because salvation is a very, very, very radical experience in the lives of people. In heaven, I am hidden with Christ. On earth, Christ is hidden in me. That's the difference. In heaven, you are hidden with Christ and seated with him on the right hand side of the Father. On earth, he is hidden in me. Both places, it is about him. It's not about us. And You need to realize, on earth, Christ is the head, church is the body. On earth, devil is the head, and the world is his body. Did you ever see the world that way? The church and the world are like oil and water. They cannot mix. They're absolutely Separate entities. Because spiritually they are entirely different. One Christ is the head and the church is his body. The other devil is the head and the world is his body. And God says, how can you love the world? How can you be friendly with the world? Don't you know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Satan hates Christ and Satan Hates the body of Christ. The world hates Christ. And the world hates the body of Christ. If the world does not hate you. Let's go to John uh, 15. If the world hates you. You know that it hated me before. It hated you. You know I will tell you. Often you will say. The world does not hate me. There are two reasons. One. One is. Because the world doesn't know Christ. So if you go to a Christless place where people don't know Christ, and you are a Christian among them, they don't hate you because they don't know Christ. So Christ also was not hated until he started preaching, I am the way. Till then they loved him. And they were trying everything to pull him into the pharisaical religious circle and when he refused to join... And he said, I am the only way and no one can come to the Father. And he started talking about salvation exclusive to him. That's when they started hating him. So if you do not talk about Christ, they won't hate you. They won't hate you. But if you talk about actual Christ and your good works count to nothing, and unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the fangs will come out. And I've seen it even in my closest circles, everything changes. Till then they love you. They say you are a cool dude. Your jokes are great. We will like. The minute you actually start telling them. This is it. A wall comes up. The world will hate you. You know that hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world. The world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world. Because I chose you out of the world. Therefore the world Understand. Salvation is very clear. The effects of salvation is also very clear. Like I say, you looked in the mirror today? How many looked in the mirror? Be honest in the house of God. How many looked in the mirror today? Everybody. Did you see your face? Did you see your mind? Did you see your mind? So are you mindless? No. You have never seen your mind, but you know you have a mind. Have you seen your body? Have you seen your flesh? Both are spiritual entities. Just because I saw my body, that doesn't mean I don't have flesh. In that body resides a spiritual factor which is called the flesh. I cannot see the wind, but you can see, identify the wind, by the effect the wind has. In the same way, you cannot see your flesh, but you know your flesh, but the effects the flesh has on your life. That's how you know your flesh is alive. That's how you know your flesh is alive. In the same way, you cannot see your spirit, but you know the effects of the spirit in your life. That's how you, that's how you count or grade salvation, if you want to use a term grading. See, till here, what salvation by faith, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and receiving all that almost everybody is right till there. Even the hyper grace fellow also is right till then. Because you are saved by grace and grace alone. After that is where the massive split comes. That is a huge split. And it happens in Romans 1 and verse 16 and 17. There is a combination of both. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For As it is written, the just, first you have to be justified, shall live by. That is our problem. Our problem is, once you are declared righteous because of your faith, after that, there is only one way you can live by faith alone to grow in your righteousness. Otherwise, you stop. You step into sight, you get retarded in your righteousness. You don't grow anymore. It is from faith to faith. Because there is a righteousness of God apart from the law that is revealed, that is from faith to faith. And much of the teaching is true till you are saved, which is the act of salvation. And after that, the devil pulls The wool over people's eyes. And there are two ways he fools. One. Either he will give you a false narrative of grace. And pull you into the world. By saying. God understands. Because you are living under grace. And you go over there. And you are moved from face to sight. And righteousness has ceased in your life. Ceased. The danger of it is is righteousness has to be progressive because everything in God's kingdom is moving either forward or backward. And if you regress, the other word, regress, you can regress all the way to perdition. Perdition. If you're not becoming better, you don't remain good. If you don't become better, you don't remain good. You actually inside are becoming worse and worse and worse. And one day you will fall away from your salvation. Either he will take you onto that other path about grace and fool, or he will pull you into legalism and take you back to the law. Okay. Two traps he sets you. Either he will take you and says, Grace understands it is okay and go on like that. You move from faith to sight, so you're not growing in your righteousness. Or, he will take you back to the law and says, okay, you got saved, now start keeping the law. God says there is the righteousness of God that is revealed only by faith. You know what? How will you know? Whether Moses comes and preaches here or Paul comes and preaches here, they will only preach from the same book. If you are under law, you receive this as condemnation. If you are under this, Grace, you receive this as conviction. The preacher and the word is the same. It is your heart that determines where you are. That's how you know. The book is the same. On the Pentecost, post-Pentecost, when the apostles taught, they taught the doctrines of the apostles from the Old Testament. But people did not receive it as condemnation, as the law. They were convicted and they kept on changing. The question is, how do you hear the word of God? You will know where you are. I don't know. I don't know. Only each one who hears knows where you are. Are you being condemned? Or are you being convicted? Because the law brings condemnation. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. Both use the same text. Both use the same text. So the first act of being declared righteous, not only that, after that, The rest of the journey is also only by faith. And when you flip over to sight, quickly repent. I'm not even talking about sinning as sin. We are very aware of it. But we are not aware of making actual factual decisions in sight as sin. Right? Now you understand Romans 14.23? Understand? Understand? Tell me what is Romans 14, not Pastor Vijay. What is Romans fourteen 23? Let's go there. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. But whatever is not of faith is sin. I am walking by faith. I am walking by faith. I am walking by faith. And then in a very family decision, I take a decision of sight. There is no ethical issues in that. But that decision itself is sin because it was not taken by faith. And faith comes from, and hearing from the, God. God of God. See, we are under the law, so we think, "Oh, I sinned. Why I did this thing?" God says, "Yes, you sinned. I understand that too." Okay, but more than that, for the past seven days, you have been walking by sight. You have not even walking by faith. You're not walking by faith. See, when I go on mission trips, like I went two weeks back. I tell them first off, we stop one of the things i teach them is this you're coming with me you're coming with me listen to what i say you listen to what i say the anointing that is upon me will work you will not fall ill not because you did anything because of what i did i have been preparing for this trip all my life not this trip for every trip i take care of my body i don't eat junk i exercise I walk on my treadmill on an incline to come climb mountains. I will not tire because I look into the word and says the body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You walk with me, you can eat anything. You will not fall sick because when I'm on mission, I eat everything and I never fall sick. Where do you get that from? I said, Jesus said, when I sent you, did you lack anything? I said, you are coming with me and I'm sending you, you will not lack. It's my faith. And two of the people who came along with were really sick. One, the pastor was throwing up on Sunday morning. His BP shot up to 180 or something. And I was looking at him and I said, if you cannot come, don't come. But if you can come, by faith come. By 11 in the night, he packed up and he came Sunday night. 2.30 in the morning we woke up, 3.30 in the morning we left on Monday morning, 18 hours we traveled, 6 vehicles we changed, the entire trip was fit as a fiddle, nothing. Another person who is sick because can't eat anything because of gastric, first stop I said, you know what, first don't call it gastric, it is a gastric, (laughs) okay, not going to happen to you. Okay, because we are on this mission where we don't know where we are going, who is going to feed us, you cannot be choosy about it. Start today and eat, you will not fall sick. And start with the only thing available in the Daba was Chole and Batura, which that dear sister had in probably eaten for years. I said, start eating. Entire eight days, nobody fell sick. Okay, on my app, it showed that I myself had climbed 111 stories. That's higher than the Empire State Building. Okay. Because this has got nothing. This has got to do with faith. And faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. It's hearing from the word of God. You have to go to this and say, Lord, the new man accepts your word. Absolutely. Absolutely accepts the word. I believe your word is true. The old man doubts. The old man's righteousness comes by works. The new man's righteousness comes by walking by faith. Because the new man is not you, it's Christ. So be very, very careful about the trap of the devil by how the devil's truly through the world will pull us back to sight. And it is a physical world. And it is a material world. And I hope you are not a material girl. Those who know the song are smiling. Are you getting it? The two tricks of the devil. That's what you see through Paul's letters. You see the church of Corinth, absolutely carnal, yet born again. And the church in Galatia has gone absolutely legal. And he's saying, what's wrong with you, Corinth? And what's wrong with you, Galatia? You are walking in absolute flesh. And you fellow is walking absolute in legalism. You are not called to either. You are supposed to walk by faith. Because there is a righteousness that is revealed. That is from God. And it is faith unto faith. So we are here on the ninth month. The first Sunday. You have. We have to have a radical soul searching. Am I growing in righteousness? From faith to faith? Because they are all connected. Faith. Grace. 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 Faith, righteousness. The more grace comes into my life, there should be more righteousness established in my life. It is all connected. Then I'll show you something which most of the men of God I have read, heard, studied, did not see. Abraham was declared righteous in Genesis chapter 15. What did God say? Abraham believed and God credited into his account, like a bank account, credited into him as righteousness. Then what does James say in James chapter 2? Was not Abraham our father justified justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works his faith, yeah, holy The faith was made perfect. So he was justified, works, but his faith was made perfect. Years later, maybe 30, 35 years later, because when he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he was around 85. When he offered, I said, he must be at least 120 years old, minimum. So that is 35 years later. And what does scripture say in verse 23? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. There is a declaration, a proclamation over our lives God saying you are righteous and there is a fulfilling of that scripture one day in our life when we are righteous. When he offered Isaac on the altar, Abraham was absolutely, totally dead to the flesh and Christ had reached his maturity in him. And God says, now you are righteous. 35 years, minimum. So don't stop at Genesis 15. Read scripture carefully. There is a growing in righteousness where one day God has to say, you know God, I remember the day in 1984 on October the 23rd when you accepted me, I declared you righteous. And then one day, like Paul, when he's about to die, he's able to say, that scripture is fulfilled. You are perfect. Your faith is perfect. Your righteousness is complete. It's a journey. It's a journey and the devil will use this material world to pull us off that journey so that if he cannot take us to perdition, he can at least steal our crown from us. What does Paul say? I have finished the race, fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. And what he says, I will receive what? The crown of righteousness, righteousness, reach the crowning of righteousness. I was declared righteous the day on the road to Damascus when I believed today. I know if I die, what do I get? The crown of righteousness. That's what we are running for. That's what we are running for. And every step of that way is by faith and by faith alone. So please remember what Paul and God through Paul teaches us about this race and don't take it lightly. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 to 6 we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the Saints. Love for all the... Let me ask you honestly. Do you really love the saints? Most Christians I know, all their friends are outside the church. Not saying you cannot be friendly with people. But I'm saying, what about the love for the saints? That's why right below doctrine is kept fellowship. Take out a normal family. Good, normal, absolute normal family. The father, the mother, let's say six-seater table, so four children. Okay? All small children. They have a wonderful home. You know, when children are small do you remember when your children were small they will come and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and they love talking to their parents talk and talk and talk you have a gala time instructions are obeyed but there's a lot of fellowship a lot of joy a lot of fun and after that the children start growing up and going outside when they go outside a little later as they grow they have now friends and if you notice children they will not tell you the names of all their friends because they already know which friends the parents will approve. And because they have formed friends with outside, you will always see the effect of the fellowship inside. When a man doesn't talk to his wife at home, he can be very sure he's got a girlfriend at office. When a woman doesn't talk to her husband at home, you can be very sure she's got a boyfriend at office. Because fellowship outside will always damage fellowship inside. That's what these are fundamental doctrines. And God will say, I'm not looking at your works, I'm looking at your life. I'm looking at your life. Because we are, all, see, we are still under the legalism because saying I tithed, I went to church, I went to midweek service. I, God says, where's your fellowship? Where's your love for the saints? Where's your love for the saints? When I go to these places and other places when mothers ask me, Pastor, i got small children, can you give me advice? I will tell the one thing. I said, I learned it and I thank God for the way he planned my life out. Because in David's book, he says, God has seen all my days and he prepared my days for me in the book. And I look back and I thank God I was born in the mountains, not in the city. You see, if you grow up in the mountains, you see the grandeur of God's creation. The mountains, the rivers, the the stars clear. This first time in so many years I saw all the stars in heaven because up in the mountains the sky is clear. Instead, what do we do? We take our babies and go to the mall. And the world gets in. And they are not able to hear the voice of God speaking through creation as they grow up. Because their eyes have been blinded by the world which is all of man. I tell people when I went to Singapore, I hated it. I go to Dubai, I dislike it. Because it's all talking about the glory of man. There's nothing there to glory about. And what do we do? Our primary fundamental mistake we do is we take our children into all these things of the world and then we start fasting and interceding. They will accept Jesus one day. God says, you goofed up big time. You're not even repenting about the steps you did to mess their minds up. You fill them with the world. Now you're crying, Lord, save them from the world. He says, doesn't work like that. That's why he saved them by the blood of the Passover lamb in Egypt and their slave masters were pursuing them. He finished them with the waters of baptism in the Red Sea and then he led them into the wilderness to shut the city out so they could learn to hear his voice and appreciate his grandeur. If that doesn't happen, we will be like this in our salvation. And in these last days, it's a very dangerous place to be last days since we heard of your faith in jesus christ and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of jesus christ in truth you need to look at there is faith there is love there is hope is our hope real hope real? Where does your hope come from? Because hope too in the spiritual kingdom is tangible. How did Paul know my crown is there? Because his hope was real. Why was his hope real? Because his love was real. Why was love real? Because his faith was real. They're all connected. It's got nothing to do with works. They are real, spiritual, tangible entities in a spiritual man or a woman's life. The God of the Bible never lies. Doesn't lie. Salvation is a real thing. It is not in your mind alone. It's a real experience where you are actually born of God. So the kingdom of God is real. Otherwise he won't say you cannot see and you cannot enter. You can see, you can enter, but not with these eyes. But if these eyes are blinded by the material world, then we are asking for trouble. So understand there. there is Fruit of the kingdom. Fruit of the kingdom. We know about fruit in this world. You read verse 9 and 10. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spirit. Have you not? When you read these episodes, do you read how the same apostle and the same Holy Spirit addresses different churches different way? With Corinthians, he's breaking his head. With Galatians, he's saying, how did you go to the law?" With Colossians, he's saying, wow. Thessalonica will say, wow. Because it's the same word which is being preached to the different sets of believers. But how they are receiving it and practicing it is different. And God commends somebody and he puts down somebody. And we get upset when we do that. But justice demands that you are fair. God does it. He says that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing him. Being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay. This is this is like a child who's got eight out of ten, and the teacher is like, saying of Trying to get ten out of ten. That's God. It was the fruit that gave them hope. Understand? Understand these things, then only you will have your hope will be real, and you are not afraid. Let me explain in terms which. We understand our terms, okay? Young children' eyes will start glittering. So we have this habit—not we. When I use "we," because I'm happy to be a pastor, I include myself in you, though I'm not guilty of that. We have this this wonderful pastime called window shopping. When we do this window shopping, the merchandise is kept nicely in those glass boxes. And you will see every day morning that fellow will come the glass, and dust that thing inside so that it can catch our eye, our attention. It catches our eye. Finally, we stop and we know there is no money in the pocket. We still stop. And once we get in over there, we realize to own it, there is a price to pay. To own what you see in that glass box, you realize there is a Price to pay. Okay? When you are ill and you end up in the hospital, you wish you had a medical insurance. But to have medical insurance, there is a premium to pay. Okay? Listen carefully, okay? Everybody wants benefits. Nobody wants to buy the policy. Let me ask you this question. Who does not want love? Who does not want mercy? Who does not want peace? Who doesn't want provision coming into your life through the hands of God? But we sell love without commitment. We sell mercy without repentance. And we try to sell the provision of God's kingdom without seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first. I'm telling you, it doesn't happen. We sell the products of the kingdom of God which is a result of being rooted in faith and growing in faith which in other words is called abiding in Christ. We seek fruit with no root. Not knowing or knowingly. Automatically we slip into sight because we know anyway how to walk inside. If you are planted right, it is inevitable that you bear fruit. Let me tell you about fruit. Whether it is a fruit of a tree, a fruit of a, of a child, a fruit in God's kingdom. Fruit is always the result of a union. Where there is no union. You cannot work out fruit. There is nothing you can do about the fruit other than to be united to the wine. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's a result of a union. That's what Jesus said. If you abide in me, John 15, abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Have you ever seen a branch struggling to bear fruit? All you have to do is to be attached to the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out. As the branch is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. These are. <laughs> Jesus always used agriculture metaphors to explain the reality of spiritual life. My question is, how do you know that you are cast out? Let me ask you, is your spiritual life withering? Is your spiritual life withering or is it flourishing? Not cast into the fire immediately. So that's another day. But scripture is that when you know you take a branch, break it from the vine and leave it over there, the first two days it looks green. And slowly the leaf starts fading. You will look has dried up at this end where it was connected to the wine. That is the first place where it dries up. There's still some sap inside there. There seems some old life over there so it still remains. But as that life is drying up you will see something else happening. Now this is very fast. A day, two days, three days. Spiritually not the same way. Question is how do you see yourself? How do we see ourselves? You and I have to be planted. You and I have to be rooted. You and I have to be watered. And you and I have to watch out for the weeds. You see, I'll tell you something. Fruit is not contagious. The fruit of the spirit is not contagious. You can sit beside somebody full of faith all your life and not even have one bit of the faith to be transferred because fruit is not contagious. You can sit beside, or you can, let's say, put aside even more intimate, you say You can lie beside your spouse, the most loving person on planet earth and still be the most unloving person because fruit is not contagious. Not contagious. You can be the most you, living under the roof with the most peaceful man on earth, and you could be the most peaceless person on earth. Because fruit is not contagious. You can catch a cold. You cannot catch love. You cannot catch peace. It's not possible. In Galatians 5 and verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. All this is fruit. It comes by being attached to the wine. See, we have sold a lie. That the world and the kingdom of God can coexist peacefully side by side. No, it's not possible. It's a lie from the pit of hell. The world and the kingdom of God cannot coexist side by side because they are diametrically opposed in every area. Yet, I want to use that word which I used yesterday. We have not been isolated from the world. We have been insulated from the world. If you go outside onto the main line, you will see those power lines with power. There's no insulation. If you touch it, you will die. That's why it's kept at that height. But when that same power comes over here, there is power here. I don't die. Because it is insulated. It didn't isolate us. He insulated us. And when we go into this world, the world has no effect on us. The new man, as he grows, his insulation grows. By the time the devil comes to Jesus, he says, the ruler of this world has come and he found nothing in me, nothing in me. This is how you know. This is how you know. This is how you know. I talk to my wife. I tell her, you know, I don't, I don't mention names, names. I tell her, you know, honey, I went to this church and I saw this old lady. She's got kids of marriageable and all age and she's regular in the church. I say, you look at her, you feel so sad. You know how she's dressed? She's dressed in all these tights with these heart shaped holes and all that, trying to look young and cool. She says, I have no It looks so sick. Because you have brought the world into the house of God. Like you say, if you look like the world, talk, if you walk like the duck, talk like, quack like the duck, you must be a duck, right? You can't dress like the world, talk like the world, walk like the world and say, I am of the kingdom. It's not possible. I'm not talking to young believers. I'm talking to those who are much older in the Lord, who's been in the Lord for 7, 8, nine, Because Paul gives you 3 years, God gives you 3 years. After that, if the world is not dead in you, there's something seriously wrong, absolutely wrong. And I'm just touching just a few things. But it's much bigger than that. Because the kingdom of God is unbelievably radical. It is righteousness. It is peace. And it is joy. And it is a righteousness that is of God and from God. It is a peace that is of God and from God and not the peace of this world. Meaning nothing the world does can affect that peace. Because it is, the world did not give it, so the world cannot take it away. The joy is nothing of this world. It is absolutely, let us say, supernatural. That is why Paul and Silas are able to worship and sing in the jail at the midnight hour. Because the kingdom of God is not like this kingdom of this world. But on the other hand if you are not growing in faith we will not experience this growing in us and when faith begins I and you cease Christ begins when Christ begins the world ceases and the kingdom of God begins and the question is how do you and I recognize the Christ in us How do you and I recognize the Christ in us? You know, we have to look, when you look in the mirror, when I look in the mirror, I see myself. But how do you see Christ? You have to look at scripture, Colossians again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. Is he before? See, don't just read scripture, personalize this. The question I ask is, is he before, for me, is he before all things? Is he the first call in the morning or the last call before I go to sleep? Is he the one I seek before I take a job or is he the one I take when I'm kicked out of a job? Is he before all things? He's the head of the body. And in him all things consist, many holds together. And you have to ask yourself, is he holding everything in my life together? Is he? Or it's me and my wisdom and my capacity and my money and my intellect or is he holding it all together? You have to ask real personal questions to know whether it is Christ or whether it is me. Is he before all things? Do I ask who I should get married to or do I ask him? When my marriage is on rocks, is he before all things? He's there for both. But that's not a question of the believer. Is he the one I ask about my career, or do I fast and pray when my career is going nowhere? That's why Jesus uses illustrations to teach I am the wine, you are the branches, and fruit is a result of abiding. So let me tell you, we have heard about talent hunters. There are these talent hunters who go from village to village and watching these boys play cricket because they always know somewhere in a hidden village up there in those mud road, there will be another Sachin or a Kohli, And which is true. They are taking all this not to play cricket or to pick a bunch of people to play cricket. They are looking for A future star. Jesus had crowds following him. Thousands after him. But he was always looking to see if he could get a disciple. And he got only 11. Because ultimately when the history of this world is written, it will be written, the history was framed by the disciples. And not by the followers. That's the commission. Make followers. 2nd Chronicles 16 and verse 9. Scripture says the eyes of the Lord. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Even today. Even in this place. That's all God is looking for. Somebody. Somebody whose heart is stayed on him. Can you believe of the Thousands. Who followed him, received miracles, food, provision, everything. He picked only 11. The 12th fellow was picked knowing that he would be the son of perdition. So technically only 11. And the only qualification they had was they were radical in their commitment. You have to accept the fact that when he went to Jerusalem, they said, let us all go to Jerusalem and die with him. And the fact of the history is that they all died for him never radical. Because the kingdom of God is radical. And one of the statements he makes about disciples is this in John 17 and verse 16. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. The world you need to understand in First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. We have not received the spirit. There is a spirit of this world, and there is the spirit that is from God. If I am not of the world, it's because I have received a spirit that is from God, and not the spirit of this world. Because the world is not a neutral entity; there is a spirit behind it. And I have, and you have received a different spirit that is not of this world. Like I said, that's why God uses. <laughs> uses. Agriculture terms to explain to us how radical it is. Let me explain to you uh etymology, uh the history behind words so that you will understand. Like like uh, I will just give you an example of, of the cuff, which is not connected with today's message. You hear the term assassin. Who is an assassin? A fellow who is hired to kill somebody. Okay, where does the word assassin actually come from? It comes from the term hashish, which is grass, marijuana. Old days when they were hired to kill somebody, they were given full of hashish and they went and on the influence of drugs, they killed you. So that is from where the term hashish and assassin comes. Okay, it's actually a Arabic Middle East term, assassin. In the same way, you need to realize, agree, culture. Agree is land. Culture is from the word you get cult. Church in its most radical term is a cult. Meaning it is against this world. To grow a jungle you don't need to do anything. To grow a garden you have to be a cult. Cult. In the land, the normal order of the land after the curse is weeds, thorns, bushes, jungles. You have to cut it off, you have to break it off, you have to farrow the land, you have to order the land, you have to plant the land against its natural order. Otherwise, you do not have agriculture. The church in its most radical term is a cult. It's against the normal order of this world. You break this world. That's what he's telling Jeremiah. I am sending you forth to pull down, to break down, destroy, then build. That's what he's doing inside each one of us. Don't lessen what the kingdom of God is. Don't make it into what it is not. Because the day is coming very close where the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdom of our Lord and Jesus Christ. To make a jungle into a farm or a garden, it will demand a radical shift. And the beginning of the church was unbelievably radical. 3,000 people hearing the word of the Lord from the mouth of his apostle Peter, convicted by the Holy Spirit, separated themselves from this world. Two things you separate. One is the world, the other is the age. You go through this Bible, you will see the world and the age. The world has been there for 7, 6,000 years. The age differs. We are children of our age. I am a child of my age. Not age in terms of years, but the pervading culture. Pervading culture. So we are all part of that pervading culture. And God says he has delivered us from this evil age. And not only delivered us from this world, he has also delivered us from this evil age. Both. Through the cross. And that day 3000 people were radically plucked out. Of that world. Died in their baptism. And planted in the house of God. And you know what? Their commitment to the teaching was radical. Absolutely radical. They understood John 17. 17. Father sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. Scripture says they gathered Daily for the apostles' teaching. And then when they went into the world, it was a different set of people, what John 17 and verse 18. You send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. How did Jesus walk in the world? The world had no effect on him. They didn't bring the world into the church. They took Christ into the world. They did not take, bring the world into the church. They took Christ into the world. What do we do? We bring the world into the church and then we go out, we take the world back into the world. And Christ is hidden. The most definitive hour of earth's history, the world's history, the church has become the most powerless because it has been compromised by the world. Absolutely compromised by the world. Nobody will believe our message. They were radical in their fellowship. Acts chapter 2 describes their fellowship like this. Now all who believed were together. Had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods. And divided them among all. As anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of God. How radical was their fellowship. How radical. How did a church that began like this end up in the world like this? I don't know. I think the answer is there in 1st Timothy 4-1. The Spirit speaks expressly in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirit. Seduction. That's how we, there are two ways the enemy operates. Either it's intimidation or seduction. I was talking to the young men. Yesterday. Because seduction is how merchandise is sold. That's why they use all these ads with all these girls standing there to sell a product which she's got nothing to do with. They're using seduction to get your eye awaken desire for the product using lust. That's how they do it. My question to men was this. If a pretty young girl in your office dressed in these tights and all says, Peter, will you help me? Immediately you go to help. On the other hand, another girl who is simple, dressed simply, has no looks at all and he comes and says, Peter, Anna, will you help me? He says, I have no time. I'm not talking about Peter, I'm telling about the reality. And I'm talking about both men and I'm talking about women, how women use seduction to get what they want and how men fall to seduction to do what they want. That's how they do it. Don't fall prey to it. That's how the world seduces believers into the world. Seducing spirits. Understand the reason why scripture puts these parameters because of who we are in Christ. Christ never seduces. Christ never intimidates. He just tells the truth as it is. Unless you put your trust in the son of man, unless you raise him up, you can draw no man. Second Corinthians 6. 14. I want to teach you something which you learn in your English classroom. Okay. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Just that phrase. In your paper one in English, the teacher will say, rewrite this sentence using B. Do not. This is a negative. Do not. Now rewrite that sentence by writing, starting with B-E-B. Be equally yoked with unbelievers. This is what you shouldn't do But when God says you shouldn't do something, he also tells you, if you read the same scripture, what you should do. That's That's why we teach you grammar in English. You thought it was for your career. It's for to read the Bible properly. (laughs) Be equally yoked with, together with, unbelievers. One of the things which you need to understand is that, now this is what happened to me. I, when I got saved, was fellowshipping with giants. And I didn't understand half the things. Though I was better than them in English, I was worse in in comprehension of spiritual things. And I realized, you know what, if I ever want to fellowship with these guys, I better grow. I am not going to walk with pygmies all my life because I realize this is my destiny. The kingdom of God is bigger than anything. So I'm going to do one thing. If I'm going to understand what these guys are speaking, the only way is that they don't have to come down to my level every time and give me baby talk. I am going to grow so that I understand what they are saying. You also need to realize, oh so Lord, I want to be equally yoked with believers. I hear Pastor James, Pastor Vijay and all come preach from here. I don't understand 90% of it. Lord, I want to grow so that I understand what they are saying. Because I want to fellowship equally with the men and women of God. have to have this desire that's what i am saying when you go out and do things it's not it's not just accidental it is normal because within you is there a desire and outside there is a sword so according to the desire there's a source of what you go but if you have been born again and if god has declared you righteous how come you do not hunger and thirst for righteousness because that is a normal thing for a believer he hungers and thirsts for righteousness And he's never satisfied. He knows he can be filled more and more and more. Because your spirit can be filled without measure. And when that hasn't happened, as you do on the first of a month, take stock taking and ask Lord, it's not condemnation, Lord. You're not condemning me because I'm your child. You're telling me something because you desire it for me. And the Christ in me desires to grow. Because on the day when we stand before God, we are not being, being judged. The Christ we allow to grow is the one who is going to be judged. I was telling yesterday, when the first fellow comes on the white horse, he's given a crown. The first horseman is released. Who is, what is the power given to him? To conquer and conquest. And the church has already been conquered by the first horseman, which was of the devil. Conquered. And taken into the world. But when Christ comes, he is crowned with many crowns. Let me ask you this question. How many crowns can you put on a head? Only one. So how is he crowned with many crowns? Every overcomer in him receives the crown of Christ. That's how he is crowned with many crowns. And that is the crown we take and put it at his feet saying, Lord, it was not me, it was you. You deserve the crown. Yet he is crowned with many crowns because in him we are hidden. And the whole of creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed who are the ones who are going to be crowned. Understand what salvation is. Seduction. Market terms, we too are selling a product. We are using market terms now. Selling a product. In real terms, we must believe in the product. Because we have tasted the product And the product has become part of our life. You know, you salesman come and knock on my door, sir, sir, and he's got a tie and this thing. I feel sorry for these guys. Okay. I mean, sometimes I don't have time, but sometimes I talk to them and I pray for them and I bless them. And I say, I said, sir, sir, this plot, this thing. I said, okay. Have you gone to the plot? Uh, No, sir. How can you sell something which you have not seen? Sir, this washing machine is really good. Have you ever washed your clothes in this brand? (laughs) No, sir, the book says so. So many people are trying to sell a Christ they don't know. Let's use market terms. Let's use market terms. Yet a salesman who goes his house... He is an extremely successful LG salesman. And you go to his house, everything in his house is LG. You tell him, uh, how to say LG? He says, sir, LG is really good. This is, this is function. And tell you, sir, also, not LG washing machine also, you buy the LG microwave. Before this fellow has gone, he has sold all the products to this guy because he knows what he is selling. Jesus did not say, you shall go and preach the gospel. He said, you shall be my witnesses. Your witness. A witness is somebody who is produced in the court of law who can give actual factual evidence. I know what I am talking about. You and I are a witness of the righteousness of God declared into our lives which is of God apart from law. It's from faith to faith. Faith to faith. We are not called to be just like the worldly salesman. Because the product we are selling is righteous and holy. And stamped by his own name. You know companies which has got great reputation. Great reputation. Let's say BMW. They send sell sends out 50,000 cars in the market. And they find one wiring in the ignition is wrong. Nobody complained. They discovered it. You know what they do? They recall all the cars because their name is more important to them than the product being sold. Do you know what has been entrusted into our hands? Do you know whose name is at stake here? That's what I am saying. At an age where we have every technology possible, why is there so little conviction? Why is there so conviction? Because I will tell you, the Spirit of God has withdrawn Himself from the product we are trying to sell. He says, it does not define the name and the reputation of my son. So you know what Sunday messages have become all over the world? Motivational talks. That's what it is. All over the world. Motivating you how to do better in the world. You don't have to do one thing to do better in the world. All you have to do is abide in him. You will do better. Because Christ, scripture says, always leads you in triumph. Always. So we have become Something that God never defined us to be. See, one of the things that offended most in Jesus' teaching. Let the worship team also come. Offended most was the teaching about communion. We confused it in John chapter 6 that he was talking to the crowd. No, the crowd followed him, but he was not talking to the crowd. He was talking in the synagogue. Can I have John chapter 6 and verse? Oh, no, no, no. 6 and... Uh, Verse 59, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Okay? And in verse 41 scripture says, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Who complained? The Jews. In 52, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's not the problem. The problem is 654 to 57. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, I in him. As the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. We come to verse 60. You see the effect of what he taught about communion. Therefore, many of his disciples when they heard this, they said this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And his disciples started leaving. When did the disciples leave? When he talked about the table, he said, "At this table, there is something that will happen. Your life will be replaced by my life, and if it is not replaced," you will have no part in me. Because when I came down to earth, my life was replaced by the father's life. I did not live my life. I allowed him to live my life. And he says at the table, what happens is a death, a death of your life and the beginning of my life. And if that doesn't happen, you have no part in me. And when he taught that, the not the Jews, they didn't understand the quarrelled; They were confused. But the disciples left. And he had just 12 left. So the question here is. We are coming to the table. Children don't have to get scared. All you have today is father I love you. Just replace my life with your life. That's all every day. One step at a time. Replacing our life with his life. Our life with his life. Because when our life is replaced with his life. When the father looks down. What does he say? This is my beloved son. I am well pleased. God is pleased only with Christ. He's not pleased with me, you or anybody. Not pleased with any one of us. Because we can never please him. There's only one who can please him. Who is that? Jesus and the Jesus in us. That's why scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because when you and I live by faith, we don't live, he lives. Be prepared in your hearts, in your minds. There's no condemnation from here. But if there is conviction, that's not me. I don't convict anybody. I don't have the power to convict anybody. morning as we come to his table we need to realize there is no righteousness apart from God She's acceptable in the sight of God and also there is nothing available to you and me that can cleanse our sin other than the blood of Jesus all our good works will not blot out one sin from our life one drop of his blood will cleanse us from all iniquity, all unrighteousness, and restore us back with God. That's the tip. That's why he said, unless you eat of my body and drink my blood, unless my life becomes your life, we can never please the Father. We can never live in his sight. We can never enter into his presence. We can never please him. This morning we want to please Him. Not just today. Not just in the house of God. But even more when we leave the house of God. By faith we want to continue pleasing Him. So Father this morning as we come to your table I pray once again you cleanse us. By your word. By your spirit. And above all by your blood. Cleanse us. Sanctify us Lord. For in Jesus name we pray. As we come to the Close of today's service. Remember the first Sunday always service is a little longer because it's of communion. As I close, I want to tell you about the two final moments been hearing about faith and faith to faith. There are two facets about faith. One is receiving from God, which is the easier part. He will see through the Gospels people just receiving their miracles just because they believe, they touched. they ask, they receive. That's the easy part. Because God always honors faith. It could be a prostitute called Rahab, a Tamar, anybody. He always honors faith. Because faith is saying, God, I take you at your word. And he, he honors. That doesn't make that person righteous. Please remember that. It doesn't make you righteous. To be declared righteous, you need to believe in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And not in anything of yours. Repent. Believe. That's when he declares. This is second side of faith. Which is not got to do with receiving. Which is got to do with giving. And scripture says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I'm not talking about money at all here. There are these demands of God when you hear. You're not receiving anything from him other than the power, but he's demanding that you give. And ultimately, that will define your life. That will define, not how many miracles you received. When Paul finishes his journey, he says, my life has been poured out. I've given it all. It was all given in faith, poured out. That when you finish your race, there should have been nothing of yourself left. You should have poured it out all for him. That is also by faith. Okay? And there is a hearing for both of this: a hearing by faith to receive and hearing by faith to give. Because our God is a absolutely living God. I will tell you. It's funny. Told my young man in my family. Before I started from here, it was hectic, remember? I was packing. And I, I, I usually have a list how I pack because I've been traveling for years. But this time when I was packing, I heard him very distinctly say, take a bed sheet. Which he has never told me. Okay, he's never told me. No? I heard, I ignored because I thought it was my flesh saying, take a sheet. But you were going like Abraham, not going, not knowing where you were going. So the first night you reach after 18 hours, it was fine. Next day meeting till 2, immediately start Auto, bikes, minibus, eleven people in a omni, and I had the royal seat between the driver and the other passenger in the front. <laughs> okay. You get special privileges because you are a pastor, you are seated. <laughs> and uh, we don't know how many rivers that were flooded we crossed. Okay, and then transferred to a sumo. And in the sumo we had to cross these rivers, then reached at nine in the night. At one place where the two pastors were waiting, we thought we had reached. They said, no, you have to cross that suspension bridge in the pitch dark with your little light and walk one hour with your luggage before we reach the place. So we crossed, we reached, and while we reached by 10 o'clock, they said, "Uh, can we just drop into this church? Because the pastors who walked down, they came one day early, and before they go to sleep, they would like to see you. So they're sitting in the office still now. So we went there, we saw them. And after that, the rest of the team, they put up somewhere. I didn't know where. They said, we t- took a room for you in the hotel. You don't think our city hotels are not okay? They wake up that people in the hotel. It is like a rundown hotel, really rundown. They open the door, put on the light, and the first thing I look, and I hear him say, didn't I tell you to bring a bed sheet? So I had the privilege of sleeping on my towel. Okay? There is no light in the bathroom. There is no mirror, no wash basin. So a little fellow called Sudarshan, I think he had never seen a guest like me, which has got a luggage tag which says I flew in. He's following me wherever I go. Okay? He's standing there. And I said, Sudarshan, I know my Quickly ran and brought me his little mirror and I said, thank you Sudarshan. He wanted to see me how I was going to shave, okay? So I said, you can watch me shave when I'm going to shower, you get out, okay? <laughs> so fellow, fellow, cute little fellow, okay? He, he, he ran and you know, second day, I asked them, "Is there another hotel over here?" They said, "Yes, but you have to walk another 45 minutes up the hill. There is a place, maybe a little better than this." I said, "Okay." Then I realized the team that I came in were put up in a home where there was no water, and they had to walk 30 minutes up the hill, come with the water down, and do their ablutions. And I said, "No, it's, I said no. Uh, we'll take two rooms. We'll go first check the hotel. We went check the hotel. It was a little better, but still no wash basin, no mirror." So I moved them also there and the next day I asked one of the ladies who was accompanying us I asked her, did you bring your vanity mirror? She said, yes Pastor Baba. I said, please give me, I need to shave. So that morning I shaved with her little mirror. Next day when I looked, she hasn't the sisters haven't woken up. So the first time I used my selfie camera to shave (laughs) and I realized technology works. (laughs) So I'm telling you it was an incredible, incredible session, incredible two days I had with the pastors, morning till evening, they cooked, the, you little saw that little tin shack, they all lived there, they all stayed there, they had walked down for hours, and Sunday service, not Sunday, their service is on Saturday, Nepal holidays. Saturday. So church gathers on Saturday, Middle East on Friday. So Saturday they said, Friday we, we will go because we have to walk eight hours, nine hours to reach our villages to have the service. So they said, two days, Wednesday, Thursday is over, but can you come at seven in the morning and talk to us for a few hours before we leave? I said, game, no problem. But you need to realize from seven to eleven in the morning, they were asking questions, clearing all their doubts and leaven. They all prayed, we prayed, and they walked back to their churches. And they said for a year and a half, we've been fasting and praying, saying, Lord, will you send somebody who will come and teach us? Because everybody refuses to come here, saying, it's too difficult to reach this place. You know? Because sometimes you ask yourself, Lord, where are you sending me? Did I really hear from you? Then you realize if he can talk you, talk to you about a sheet, he can talk you about his shepherds too. Okay. We have a God who is living. To walk faith to faith, you need to hear. And children, I'm telling you, you can hear. But to hear, you need to ask. Learn to talk with God. Learn to talk with God and he will speak to you. And when you hear something, it will change your life. The more you hear, your life will keep on changing because there is a righteousness that is of God, from God, which is revealed to us from faith to faith. It's impossible to please God without faith, and faith comes from hearing from the Word of God. Okay, Amen. Shall we look? Stand, we stand up. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, thanking you, Father. That you will never, never let us lie down without a warning. You will never let your children go down the road without cautioning us. You will never let us lose our crown without showing what you have planned for us. Because your word itself says, I haven't seen or years heard what God is preparing for those who love him. And your word says, O oh Lord, the spirit of God reveals to us these things, O oh Father. And I pray, Father, all of us here, no one exempted would learn to hear from you, Father. Not only hear, but able to hear and see what you are preparing for us, Lord. The joy of seeing, Father. If it was true in the Old Testament that the people spies came in and said the land is exactly as the Lord said. Look at the grapes. Look at the fruit of the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. If they could have an evidence of the things they were to possess. How much more your word says we have an evidence of the things we will possess in the future. It's revealed in the spirit of God. For we have tasted the powers of the ages to come. And I pray father this walk is real. This walk is true and we will hearken our ears to your voice O God daily daily, that it flows from us naturally, naturally like breathing, Lord, that we long we desire to spend time with you, we desire to meditate on your word, we desire to worship you, we desire to walk with you, we desire to obey you, let it be an outflow of Christ in us, oh Lord and not the works of religion Father, and I pray today there will be a death of the old man and the resurrection of the Christ in us, O oh Lord, because Christ always pleases His Father. And I pray that Christ in us, we will allow Him to love and to reign and please the Father. Thank you Lord. As we go into a new month I speak healing into the bodies of your children, peace into their minds and strength into their bones O Lord. The strength of the living God. Nothing that we will face this entire month will catch us by surprise because God is walking with us. God is with us and his grace is more than sufficient for us O Lord. Therefore we declare our victory in you. We declare your glory in our lives. We declare your honor in our lives. We declare your power in your lives, in our lives, O oh Lord we declare, go before us Lord go before us, O oh Father you are Jehovah Nisi, our banner under whom we will march you are Jehovah Shabbat under whom we will fight, you are Jehovah N- our peace, O oh Lord we rest in you, and I speak that rest into every troubled heart today Lord, that rest you are our peace You are our peace. There are troubled hearts in our midst today. Troubled. And I speak your peace. Their situation doesn't have to change. All they have to know is God is in control of their situation. I speak your peace. The peace of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Everyone. Who's dipping and dabbing with the world. I pray they will be restless. I pray they will be restless until they have been rescued from the seduction of this world, of oh Master. Bring them out, Lord. As a shepherd, as a father, I pray for my children standing before me. Bring them out, Lord. I do not know, but you know. Bring them out. Bring them out, Lord. and Put their feet on the rock. Let this be a glorious month in everybody's life, Lord. Thank you, Father. We lift our holy hands now by faith. And we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we confess and we proclaim. Thine is the kingdom. The power and the glory. Forever and ever Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thank you Father. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of the Father. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.